0: You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy. And I'm Norm. Today we're going to be talking about Spirit
0: Island and we're also going to be looking at solo games that you play multi-handed, i.e. as more than one character in the game. First of all, some really exciting news. If you are a fan of 18xx games like myself and Scruffy, we are going to be playing a playthrough of 1849 on Scruffy's YouTube channel, and we are going to be doing that with Chris and Fred, the hosts of the Derailed 18xx podcast, if you don't listen to that and you're a fan of train games, you absolutely should. It's fantastic. They're really, really nice guys, and we're looking forward to playing 1849 with them. Scruffy, I think you've played it a couple of times. You're a fan of
1: 1849? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, personally, I find the dual gauge thing a bit hard to get my head around. But yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun game, and I'm looking forward to playing it. These guys have been awesome. They gave us a shout-out on our, like, our first episode or something, and so... Yeah, they're awesome guys, and I can't wait to play a game with them. Yeah, podcasts versus podcast. So before we dive into the topic, let's uh, just have a bit of an overview of the game, but just to give you an idea of how the game works. In Spirit Island, you take on the role of spirits protecting their island from invaders. At the start of the game, you will choose which spirit, or spirits if you're playing multi-handed, to play, with each offering unique ways to interact with the map and the mechanics of the game. The game is broken down into two main phases, the spirit phase and the invader phase. During the spirit phase, your spirit grows in power and spreads their influence across the island. Then they generate energy used to play cards which have an effect on the game and which generate elements used to enhance the card's effect or for the innate powers of the spirit. Spirit cards and powers can be fast or slow with fast effects resolving before the invader phase, and slow effects resolving after it. After the spirit phase and the fast effects have resolved, the invaders get to strike back, ravaging the island, building and exploring. Invaders will always ravage where they built last turn, build where they explored, and explore by flipping over a face-down card from the invader deck, giving the player a chance to prepare and anticipate most of the movements, whilst keeping some mystery. To win the game, you must scare the invaders away or remove their presence from the island. You will lose the game if the invaders spread enough blight across the island or if the 12-card invader deck runs out, so if 12 turns elapse. That's a basic overview of Spirit Island. Yeah, I think you knocked out the park. As always, <laughs> Scruffy. As always. As
0: always. <laughs> um, so... I mean, you've played Spirit Island a couple more times more than me, I'm going to say. What what, what do you you make of the game, Scruffy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of have an interesting relationship with it. So I had the most fun playing with it for preparation for this video. And I'm going to say a spoiler of that right now at the start of the episode. I had the most fun and only really enjoyed playing it solo, at least uh, single-handed. I I cannot get my head around playing it multi-handed. It's it's got so much complex mechanics and so much to think about with each individual spirit. But then when I have to do that another time, it does it's it feels like I'm playing two players solo games. It's it's really hard and trying to mesh them together. It doesn't quite gel for me, but but like I say, playing it single-handed was a blast. It, you um, the size of the island is determined by the player count and obviously, if you play multi-handed, you play with a bigger island, which feels nice. But I never felt claustrophobic when I was playing single-handed with just one little tile. I, I actually, it felt like a big enough world, and it felt interesting and fun and diverse. I, I thought I'd feel a bit trapped, but yeah, I mean, what what was your experience like, Norm? Well, I think it's worth pointing
0: out that this is by far the most recommended solo game that we've had on this show. I think. Since we released episode one, the, the letters that we've been getting in are from people saying about how much they enjoy playing Spirit Island and, and how much I, we should play it. Before doing this episode, I hadn't played it at all. I've played it three times now in total. I've played it once multiplayer with, with yourself, Scruffy. Mm-hmm. I've played it multi-handed with two spirits. And I've also played it pure solo with just one spirit. And I think overall I've enjoyed it. I, it's kind of mixed feelings I have about it, but I think a lot of that is because I think the game rewards repeated plays. And I think some of the things that I, I, I'll allude to later on the episode, some things that maybe I didn't enjoy as much, I think will... Grow with experience, uh, or or fade away with experience. So, um, so there's that. But I think yeah, right off the bat, the first thing that stood out to me with Spirit Island, even before I played it, was the theme. How awesome is the the theme? The idea of scaring away
1: colonists. Oh, it's it's fantastic, isn't it? It feels so gratifying. Like, you know, who doesn't want to just get rid of that horrible polluting, nasty side of humanity and, and and play as the actual forces of nature. And just the choices you get for which spirit to play are wonderful. Like You look at this kind of beautiful array of spirits. There's tons of them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm playing on tabletop sims, so I don't know if uh, I'm playing with expansion spirits there. But they are all unique and interesting and beautiful looking. The art in it is gorgeous and Everyone is exciting to pick up and and try out. It was my first time in preparation for this, playing with some of the more advanced spirits. And oh my God, they make the game more interesting from my perspective. I mean, I'm I'm glad I played with the low intensity ones at first, but wow, they're fantastic. Yeah, the theme is spot on.
0: Yeah, and the artwork really brings it to life. But um, as pretty as the artwork is, it's also very functional. It's very, when you look at the map at a glance, it's very easy to see what is going on for such a, a pretty looking game. It's, it's some board games, you kind of, well, as, as an 18XX fan, for example, that, that is an example of a game that is pure functionality over aesthetics. And Spirit Island is one where I think those two gel really well. It didn't take me long, even first time playing, to figure out what the different symbols meant. And when I played a second time, I hardly had to look up anything at all. It's very functional and really easy to see what's going on. And it does that without having to trade in any style points. You know, it's it's a stylish looking game. It's a pretty looking game and you're absolutely spot on. The player boards that you get for your spirits, they look phenomenal. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I
1: I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm thinking a lot. uh, It's often a problem, isn't it, in sci-fi games, particularly well, from my experience, that you kind of just get lost in shapes and colors and you get confused in this. Everything is so simple. And I think that has a bit to do with the sort of naturalistic theme that everything is very y, very simplistic. And that works in its favor for allowing you to at a glance know what you're doing, know what you're getting. You know, every time you grow your spirit, you get a choice of usually three, sometimes four. I, don't, I haven't played all the spirits, but options for how to develop your spirit. And it's just so clear. You can easily see what, what you can do and how you can develop it. The complexity for me gets a bit more tricky when you start looking at the cards. And this is because uh, early, uh, early you did mention that you might be a, a thing about having not played it many times. And I, I did start to notice this got a little bit easier as I've played a few more times and started to encounter more of the cards. But especially starting out, when you play the game, you gain a lot of cards, a lot of new cards as you go, um, and it's a lot of reading. You get, every time you get a new card, you choose from four cards and add one to your hand. If it's a minor power, it just go straight to your hand. If it's a major power you've chosen to take, it will go into your hand and you'll forget a card. So that means you have to read and understand four distinct cards and then decide which one of those cards to go in your hand and then, you know, remember it every time you play. It's a, it's a lot of information. And so doing that for two different Spirits when I was playing multi-handed, oh, God got a bit tedious, I have to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with, with yourself because I think, I think the popular opinion with Spirit Island is that it plays best solo with two Spirits. And I think that probably comes from experience because from my you know, three plays that I've had of Spirit Island, I definitely had the most fun when I was playing multiplayer or as pure solo with just one spirit. I did feel like it was slightly harder with just one spirit. You had to be hyper-focused on, on one strategy, and sometimes that you know means that you're being a little bit less flexible. But I would rather the challenge comes from the difficulty of the game rather than the difficulty of knowing what all your decisions are, which is where I feel the difficulty comes from when you're playing multi-handed. Would you agree yeah, with
1: that? It, it, It gets overwhelming, doesn't it? Because you have a hand eventually. I mean, I I have to say I abandoned the last game I was playing sort of two turns away from the end because I had a hand of seven cards or so with each of my spirits and then had to choose four of them to play after having done the, the growth choices for them both. And just working out which cards to play and where to play them and the fact that some go before the invaders' turn, some go after the invaders' turn. So trying to... It is too much for my for my little human brain i can't i can't analyze what all my choices are and then make a choice it, you know it's it's yeah it's, it's analysis paralysis i guess there's no other words for it yeah whereas when i was playing with just one spirit i was able to quite quickly see what all my options are and work out what i needed to do and the the puzzle was then in how to achieve that which is more fun for me Rather than what can I do, it was how
0: can I do it. Absolutely. Like I said, the challenge comes from the difficulty of the game rather than the difficulty of analysing your options. I completely agree.
1: Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad you do because I didn't know coming into this whether you'd feel the same way or whether you would prefer it multi-handed. I think you're right that you do, and I don't know if some of the spirits might be a bit difficult, I actually purposely chose one that is looked very problematic as a, a solo game god to try and that was the bringer of dreams and nightmares who his stats looked like he didn't have much in the way of offense or defense but he had a lot in the way of generating fear. It made for a much quicker game and it was really fun and actually it worked out really well. I imagine that some of the spirits which don't generate any fear it would be very difficult to, unless you pull up some good cards, it would be very difficult to achieve the win conditions since fear is is what the, the win condition is all about. But I had a really easy time with the Bringer of Dreams and Nightmares, um, playing solo anyway, Um, especially because when you play one player, the fear pool is less, which means you need less income to get those cards and progress through the game. The way that the fear works is you have a pool of fear, four fear, I think, per player. And every time you empty that pool, it resets and you draw a fear card, which uh, usually gives you a nice benefit during the start of the invader turn. And eventually, as you work down that deck... You hit terror levels, which make the game slightly easier to win. At the start of the game, you have to remove all invaders to win, all the, all of their pieces. As you get the higher terror levels, you don't have to worry about some of the smaller pieces. And eventually, when you go through the whole fear deck, you win. It's just victory, which is what happened with the Bringer of Dreams and Nightmares. It was just a win that way, because he has trouble actually removing the pieces from the board. But like I say, it can generate the fear really well. The gods, the way they interact is usually quite important. It feels very important when you're playing with two gods. It feels like that you need, you depend on each other. And maybe that's true for some of them. So maybe it's it's not possible to win. I'd have to play a lot more to find that out. But I found I found it really fun, especially while I'm learning the game. I think I'm going to definitely dive back in and try out at least all the gods once, you know, all the spirits wants to see how they play. So like, before I do any more multi-handed.
0: I think you kind of hit on the reason why people prefer it multi-handed and that's because like you said not all of the spirits will be able to be played on their own some of them rely on on others to do their heavy lifting you know the uh, the water spirit the one of the easier water spirits it's very good at moving things around the board but it, it doesn't destroy much and it has absolutely no starting cards generate any fear so for that reason you probably would want to pair it with another spirit to to balance that out and you can imagine that the water spirit being very useful in a a kind of tag team like that but uh, you have to have a lot more brain power than than i do clearly because i found it really challenging
1: so with your game i helped you set up your your multi-handed game you played the the water spirit is uh, river surges in sunlight and you also had shadows flicker like flame um, mm-hmm. I imagine that that was the one that picks up all the fear for you. Did you uh, did you win that game? No, I actually abandoned it close to the end,
0: the same as you did, because I was yeah. having the same problem. I was just finding it too tedious. And that's mm. when I set up for a pure solo game and had a much,
1: much better time. It was also a much quicker game as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. I, I wondered if that was just because I played with the fear one that went through so quickly. But yeah, I, I I must be so much so much faster. Well, who did you play for your uh, solo one-handed game?
0: I just played Shadow Flickers like Flame. Oh yeah, because I used it already. Um, I knew it. I just wanted to see the difference from multi-handed to solo, and I really enjoyed it. I lost. I generated too much blight on the land. However, if I got through to the slow phase, I would have um, gone to the next terror level. And that would have won me the game. So it came right the way down to the wire. It was really, really close. It didn't feel imbalanced at all. Um, A lot of people say that you need multiple spirits, but I didn't feel like that. But uh, obviously, I've only played it three times, so, so I could be wrong. But I felt it was very balanced. I came very close to winning. And considering I'm quite new to the game, I was quite... I was quite happy with that and uh, yeah i felt felt very close and, and interesting whereas yeah multi-handed it was just a little bit too much
1: yeah i think in a i think it's a testament to how much more fun it is that you can get to the end of losing the game because i think in especially in in, in games like this where you're playing solo it can feel a bit frustrating if you're the way it works it feels like you're, you're constantly pushing a stone uphill only to have it roll back down again you know you <laughs> You remove yes. the islanders and then they come back. And if they come back stronger, it can feel like you're doing one step forward and two steps back. and all the other metaphors, because you're not making the progress you want. But if you're able to get to the end of it, even knowing that you might lose, I think that's really a testament. To it. because like I say, the game I played it was a bit of a cakewalk. I won in fairly early on because uh, because I was just able to generate the fear and keep pushing them around and making more fear. Which, so I was worried that that was the only reason I enjoyed it because I won. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope I'm glad to hear that from your experience, you can still lose and have a fun time like that.
0: Well, <laughs> in my notes, one of the criticisms that I wrote down is that I probably knew about 15 minutes before the game ended that I was was wasn't likely to win. I oh, surprised really? myself at the end for how close I got to winning. That surprised me because you know I thought about 15 minutes to go. This isn't going to be easy, and a part of me thought, well, maybe it's time to call it. You know, you're not going to win. What's the point in seeing it through to the end? But uh, I did, and the reason I did is because I I knew I'm I'm not experienced in this. I know from other solo games that I play that I am experienced in that uh, you should always play to the end because you you don't know what's you don't know what's around the corner. And as I was going through the fear deck, things did get easier. But I still knew I was behind, you know? And
1: Yeah, those those fear cards can save your life, can't they? They're they're really powerful.
0: Especially when you get to phases two and three, they they really start to ramp up, but so too do the invaders as well. So mm. Yeah, it's 6-6 six, and six one half does in the other. So I'm not really sure if that's a criticism or not, because I felt like I was going to lose 15 minutes before the end. But actually, it turns out that I was quite close to winning. So I'm not sure if that's a criticism or just something I felt because I don't know the game as well as an experienced player. But that's something I think that's noteworthy, that, you know, the game does chuck a lot at you. If you let one or two things build up, then you can really very quickly get to the see- end. You don't have to generate much blight to lose the game, you know. Mm, it can, yeah, it can come about very quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's le- it's, it's less in a, uh, in a single player game, a so, uh, one handed game, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, two
0: before you move on to the to the next phase, and then it's four. That's not
1: much. Now I know the map's obviously smaller, which I mean, in some ways, makes it harder because you might a bit of blight that that doubles up. It has the uh, pandemic thing of when an epidemic breaks out, when a a blight happens, if there's already a blight there, you spawn another blight in an adjacent location. And in this, you continue to do so if you hit another blight and another blight, so you could easily lose just by getting in a corner and and, and pulling up three or four blights. You know, And that's
0: exactly what happened. I had a jungle in a corner and it already had a blight on there and it had a city and two towns and I was... There's just nothing I could do. It's just too much. I wouldn't be able to, I wasn't able to do it. And obviously the the goal is to not let it build up that much, but that's easier mm. said than done.
1: <laughs> I wonder if the higher difficulty spirits have a, a few more tools in their basket because they are a bit more complicated, a bit more fancy. They can do a few more things. By necessity, the, the low complexity ones are a bit more basic. And so I wonder how they balance for solo play. I mean, in general, I think it must be a hell of a nightmare trying to balance all these different spirits and the interplay with other spirits. I, I can't imagine how the developers did it, but then trying to factor in solo play as well—the fact that they offer it—is very brave. And I'm glad they did because I'm—I am genuinely excited to dive back in and try more. Uh, like I say, single-handed, not multi-handed spirits. Yeah, I'm. Tem- I, I really want to see what the advanced spirits.
0: I like as well because one thing that i noticed i was struggling with with the slightly easier spirits is during the growth section they're fairly restrictive as to what you can choose they they group the decisions for you whereas some of the more advanced ones let you sort of pick and mix a little bit hmm. and uh, <laughs> the one that kept coming up is i wanted to spread uh, my presence and i also wanted to get my cards back and if you get your cards back, <laughs> you can't spread your presence. At least with the, at least with the easier spirits that I've played. So that was something that I found really challenging and not not frustrating, just just a challenge. And yeah, something that I may, might want to uh, look into with the with the advanced spirits. Because I remember when we played multiplayer, you played with one of the moderate ones, and you were able to sort of mix and match your growth abilities. Isn't that?
1: Correct. Yeah, I played with sharp fangs behind the leaves, and uh, they were very interesting. They they added little tokens, beast tokens that wandered around. It says it's moderate difficulty. I'd say it was, in some ways, even harder to play with than the than the one I played solo. But you know, maybe that's because there was another player there, and I was want to bear in mind what you were doing, which obviously inevitably makes the game a bit bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. But no, that was really fun to play with. And they get to choose two growth options instead of instead of one that most spirits get to do, which. Uh, I wasn't a, a personally a massive fan of. It felt a little bit like some of the times it was a bit a bit of a chore. Like, okay, I'm definitely going to do this one. And then let me look at my hand. And go, well, what other ones? Oh, I don't know. And kind of just pick one at random almost. But yeah, they were fun to play. I don't know if I'd play them again. Probably not. There's too many new ones to try. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the moment on online at the a list of all the different spirits. And they're so pretty. I just I can't wait to dive in and try a new one. If you... If you were to play again, like what, which one, which one are you most excited to pick? Do you have one that you're you're interested in picking, or no, not
0: particularly. They all look great, so it's really difficult to to pick out just one, especially especially when I'm not sure what they do. You know, yeah. it wasn't until a few turns in with each spirit and to, that I get an idea of how they should be working. So it's really difficult for me to say which one I I'd, I'd like to play with, but I, I'm definitely keen to, to to try them again.
1: Am I right in thinking you'll go for a? non-starter one, maybe a moderate or high difficulty? Definitely. Uh, just, just to have more, like you said, more tools. I think the one thing you'll really like is, so far the ones I've played, the moderate and high difficulty ones, always have, instead of when you, when you grow, when you develop their engine, when you spread your presence, you increase your kind of resources, your income, which in this game is energy, and how many cards you can play. But the more advanced spirits also give you an element that is just always available to you which means that you're more likely to be able to power the higher cards and abilities even by play- playing less cards i think that's something you'll really like if you do if you do do it again definitely
0: i really enjoyed But both aspects of what what you just said there, the um the way the player boards work for the spirits, when you spread your presence, you remove a player piece from your player board and you place it on the on the map. And when you reveal what, what you reveal underneath is extra income. It reminded me of, you know, like Scythe. Or yeah. clans of Caledonia, and I really, am a big fan of those kind of mechanisms where you can look down at your player board, think about what you want to do, and those those kind of components are designed two for one. They they block block out abilities that you can unlock later on your player board, and they also end up going on the map. That that kind of slick design. I'm a big fan of of, of those kind of games. Terra Mystica is another one that does that kind of thing. Yeah, mm. I'm 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 a big fan. I think I think that's really it's really slick. It's really easy to get your head around for a new player, and it's just it's just nice. It just feels nice. It's just something I enjoy.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels like a double reward, doesn't it? Like you're you're making two actions for one. You know, it's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I think my favorite thing about Spirit Island is the turn structure. The way that you have to plan around the turn structure. You mean the
1: invader deck?
0: I, I mean, yeah, or absolutely, the invader deck. But the the fact that it's it's very procedural. Spirit Island. You got you know the growth phase and the spirit actions, and then they don't. Your spirit actions don't resolve at the same time. They resolve around the invader phase. It kind of reminded me of you know like the level of planning in something like Dominant Species, where you select what action mm. you're going to do, but
1: it doesn't resolve immediately. That was really cool. You say that, and I absolutely agree. That That's a really interesting way of thinking and planning with the, with the slow actions, the slow effects and the slow cards. But there's also fast actions, which do offer that instant gratification of being able to affect the board state right now before the invaders take their turn. But usually at the cost of either they cost more energy or they have a drawback in the card or they're just a bit less powerful than the slow actions. Uh-huh. So there's always this kind of interesting axis where you're like, well, I need to deal with this threat right now. But who knows what's going to come up when I draw the next card? And maybe sh- it would be worth playing this slow card instead to deal with plan for the future, you know? And almost always I, I end up cheaping out and picking the, the knee-jerk instant stuff. because. <laughs> <you know.
0: laughs> well, I think it's interesting, especially later on in the game when you're playing like four cards a turn. Um, it's interesting where you've got a couple of fast ones, a couple of slow ones, and then an innate ability, which might be fast or slow. And the, the way innate abilities work is the cards you play, they also generate an element. If you generate enough of certain elements, your spirit has its own ability that just gets triggered. And you can pl- you have to plan around that. So some resolve immediately. And then you watch what happens on the board Sometimes you plan it perfectly, but what I really like is even when you don't plan it perfectly, sometimes the cards are flexible enough that you can use them in a different way to what you planned. So there's interesting choices when you play the cards. There's also interesting choices of when you resolve their effect as
1: well. Would you agree with that? It's me? nice. It always feels like the game kind of gives you the power to, to respond. Like You do all your stuff, you set up everything, and then you attack the board with your fast actions and and deal with the immediate stuff. Then horrible things happen. The invaders take their turn. And then if you were wise and if you were forward thinking, you've put a few slow cards aside to deal with it. And that's a really nice feeling of kind of like getting, getting back at the invaders straight away. It does mean it's one of the things that only, that makes it a little bit difficult to learn. It does
0: mean you have to understand that structure and how, the invaders are going to resolve really well in order to play those slow cards effectively. That sounds a little bit contrary to what I just said previously, where I said that it allows you to pivot. But if you really want to play those slow cards effectively, you do have to have at least some kind of grasp on what the invaders are going to do, which is pretty straightforward once I played it for like the third time. But it's not, I don't think it's the most straightforward thing to get your head around. Would, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that intuitive. I think the main complexity comes from, like I've said before, working out what your choices are and what effect things will have. So you look at the board and you say, well, okay, I can play this card that destroys an invader, for example. How would that help? Well, it would, it would mean that then there won't be an invader on that space, so they might not build. Okay. But the thing is, it's a slow action, so it's actually not going to affect anything on the board at the moment. You have to wait until the next card gets turned over, and then you can use it and be like, and respond to this unknown bit of information. Okay, that's that card. I've got that sorted. What's this next card? Well, and so that is a lot to work out for like one card and one option. And obviously, as you play, you get used to using your cards and what they do a bit, but I, I don't know. It feels like every turn, it's like, okay, which one of my cards was it that can help me with this specific thing, situation I'm in now? I can't remember. i have to look at them all again. Maybe, again, that's just starting out and a problem with not knowing the game very well. But, yeah, it is a bit of a brain burn. And then to try and add another hand in that, add another spirit who's got their own concerns. And I, I'm even saying this now, and I'm thinking, I'm missing a lot of stuff out. Like Not only does that one card have all that stuff, but it also then has an element that it generates, and you've got to think of that as well, and you've got to make sure you get... <laughs> My God, it's a lot, isn't it? You know, so you sit there and you go, okay. Well, I definitely need to generate this, 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 and this element. So that limits me to these cards. Oh, but wait, I really need to play this card because it's too much. It's too much. It's definitely too much to multi-hand. I mean, yeah, you just go go backwards and forwards. Oh my God, it's for me. It was it blew my brain. I couldn't do it. And
0: there's another layer of strategy. Because the game isn't just about what cards you play, but it's also about knowing when to add new cards into your deck. And the growth actions you choose are so important. And that's a really subtle bit of strategy that I didn't think of until you put that major card in your hand too early. Oh, God, yeah. And had to pay for it. And then that made me think, so not only do you have to strategize about what cards you're going to play, there's also a bit of strategy in when do I stop getting minor power cards, which just go into your hand, and when do I start getting major power cards, which I have to start paying for when whens that when does that turn over at, at what point does is my engine effective enough to to make use of that? And that's a little bit of nuanced sort of advanced strategy that isn't very obvious to a new player, which is great. It means there's replayability. But uh, yeah, it's
1: uh, it's a really layered game. and Yeah, and I think it really shines in those choices and, and deciding and setting the tempo and also how those things affect the different spirits you choose. In uh, the multi-handed game I was playing, I played with Vital Strength of the Earth and he generated a lot of energy. So I kept finding that it was actually a good idea just to maybe pick up some more major powers of him and my other spirit was the Lightning Swift Strike. And he ne- he just did not generate any energy. He was the polar opposite of that spirit. He needed just minor cards constantly. And it, it made for a very different play style. And I think being able to have the, the time to unpack each individual spirit, it's an important thing that I think you lose when you play this game multi-handed. The, the most fun for me was sitting down with that one spirit and going like this this is who I am this I could get immersed and I could get wrapped up in all the complicated nuanced decisions there's enough for one spirit when I first picked up the game I looked at uh, recommendations for how to play and people tend to say play multi-handed with multiple spirits and I thought I'd be missing out if I played with one spirit but I couldn't have been more wrong. You should definitely play it single-handed, not multi-handed. At least when you're learning it. At least when you're learning it, exactly. But I think even beyond. I mean, I I, I can't I can't see the fun multi-handed, but I really can single-handed. It's more immersive. The complex and brain-busting choices make sense when you only have to decide for one spirit. It, it feels bizarre trying to decide for two different spirits and work them out together and interplay. It is designed as a co-op game, in my opinion, where you kind of have a vague idea of what the other spirit does and you go, oh, dude, can you do that, by the way, that thing you did before? Would you be able to do that? It'd be really helpful. That feels like the level of engagement you need for the other spirit that you're playing with, not you have total control over what they do and total control over what this one does. Try and make them gel as best as possible.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I was thinking about bringing up on the show anyway, so I'm kind of glad that you did. When we played multiplayer, I didn't feel like what you were doing mattered to my decision-making in any kind of impactful way, if I'm honest. Really? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know that we won as a team, and I know that you've obviously did a great job with your spirit, but I never once thought, oh, what's Scruffy doing? Let me have a look at that first. I just sort of made my decision and and that was and that was it. Is there's too like you said, there's too much to consider when you have to look at other the other spirit anyway. And yeah, playing multiplayer, I didn't feel like what you were doing affected my decision-making process. If I'm brutally honest, I just played my own game and when things were resolving, we just kind of asked each other what order we
1: wanted to do it, you know? I don't know how you feel about that. I think that makes sense. I mean, I tend to find and I'm, I I don't know if I'm alone in this, that when playing with multiple spirits, whether multi-handed or not, you kind of divide up the island. And and especially if you start on opposite ends of the islands like we did, you kind of say, well, this is this is my part of the island, so I'll I'll take care of this, you take care of your part of the islands, and then you kind of meet in the middle towards the end. And personally, I really like that for multiplayer because you're able to kind of play your own game and and kind of help each other out as you go. But also, you're kind of impressed by each other. Like, I kept watching your your guy just push things around the board like crazy, and I was impressed. But you also get your sense of uh, achievement, where I was generating fear where you weren't, for example, and knowing that that's kind of the area of the game I'm responsible for. That made it quite fun for me in multiplayer. But in single-player, multi-handed, you have the same thing where you divide up the island, but you're playing... Both, so it's like you're playing two solitaire games, yeah. And then when you meet in the middle, it's kind of just a bit like now you have to think of both of them at the same time, and it just becomes too much.
0: The thing is, with the multiplayer game, as impressive as you found it, uh, you know, watching me take care of of one half the island while she did the other, did you ever feel like what I was doing would
1: affect how you decided to play your spirit? I definitely felt like we had our own sides of the island that we could breaching were responsible for because that's where our presence was but i became aware that you weren't able to generate fear and so that meant that i shifted my focus away from perhaps moving things around and uh, removing the explorers and towards just trying to remove cities and generate fear and kill the big stuff so i think in the meta sense it made a difference but in terms of the micro managing my area and my island and, and working out how to deal with the day-to-day stuff, I guess you'd call it, of, okay, are they going to build there this turn? I need to deal with that because Norm can't reach it. Obviously, I would have played the same if I was playing solo. Okay. So I think it it worked better for me as a multiplayer game than a multi-handed game, as I think I've made a bit (laughs) too clear. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I definitely get what you mean about it, feeling kind of like you're playing your own game. Yeah. And that's why I think it leans works so well as a single-handed game. I don't understand the buzz about it being a multi-handed game other than to account for the weakness of certain spirits. But you just don't play with them. Just don't play with them. Yeah, exactly. If you don't if you don't think they work on their own, then move on to a different one. You know? Yeah, they're,
0: they're, they're a treat for the multiplayer game. You know, moving on, I really quickly wanted to bring up something. You, we were talking about how you know, how satisfying it is to lay out your cards and and the planning that goes into that. One of the things I've sort of wanted to bring up as a criticism is that I want to play all the cards. (laughs) Like, I can see how they will all help each other. And for a large portion of the game, you can only play maybe two or three at a time. And that is really, really frustrating. It feels like the game wants you to plan two or three things a turn or three or four things a turn but if you don't rush for being able to play lots of cards straight away the game limits what you can choose from and how much planning you can do and i have to say sometimes i just felt a little bit like come on come on man just let me do this thing you know just let me play the game do you get what i'm trying to say there i probably haven't worded that very well but on I'm trying to no say.
1: i get what you're saying i mean i have to say though, i totally disagree i mean i really like that the game says to you okay we're going to give you almost about enough to put out all the fires that are coming up this turn or you can be smart ish <laughs> you can be risky i guess is the better thing to say and you can let the fires burn just leave that bit of the island. Don't worry about. It. Let them ravage there. Let them build there. That's fine. And just play a few slow actions, or or build, conserve your power, save your energy. I mean, obviously, the rule book says you should try and do as much as you can in a turn, and that's absolutely true. But the the way you play the cards and what you play, like especially if you play slow actions instead of fast actions, you're kind of getting more bang for your buck, and you're you're able to just take the hit, but then do bigger stuff. I understand what you're saying about the. You can't play with your cards at once, but then towards the end of the game, you can. And th- th- that is really satisfying, Then knowing because you've been this whole time locked to just one or two of those effects, and now you can play all of them together, and they combo and synergize, and it unlocks all the other stuff. And it does feel like your spirit has grown and become godlike. To me, anyway. I, I really like that.
0: Yeah, but the, the issue is that by that time, the, the islanders have as well. So you're pretty much having the same impact that you were at the beginning of the game. And I'm not saying my criticism here isn't that I think your spirit should be more powerful. That's probably what it sounds like I'm saying. What I'm saying is the satisfying thing about Spirit Island is understanding the turn order and putting out all these little devices that are all going to kick off at different times. And watching those synergies and how they interact with each other is really,
1: that's the satisfaction of Spirit Island for me, anyway. See, that's interesting because I think if you were able to get all those synergies off every turn, the game would feel really prescribed and you wouldn't have any choice. The fact that you have to choose to do a bit of the synergy or you know, makes it that you're able to feel every turn is different, in my, in my opinion.
0: I just feel like the first few turns are lacking. The first few turns are a bit, I guess I could do this. I guess I could do that.
1: Is it really a decision? That's very interesting at the moment. Not really. Oh, yeah. I remember when I set you up with your multi-handed game, you said, there's not much to go off right now. And I was like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I guess I could do this. I guess I could do that. It's pretty inconsequential at the moment, whether I do this or that. So I want to push one diagonal.
1: That's up. crazy, because I look at the board and I go, they're going to build in all of these spaces immediately. Like, first turn, you've, you've got the explorers out, and they're going to build on, like, four spaces or whatever. Cool. And you go and I can play one card. <laughs> it's just, who cares? So how? So how am I going to deal with this? Where am I going to let the fires go and stuff? Ah, I think this is where the, for me, saving grace of the game comes in. The, the thing that makes it really sparkle, and we haven't mentioned at all, is the the natives, the Dohan.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Because the way they work is scattered across the island is a few natives, the, the people that were there before and are living off the land peacefully and not causing blight and pollution. And with them, you can have a few powers that move them around and a few powers that will do stuff based on where they are. But the most important thing is when the invaders ravage after they've hit and done the damage or may- and maybe done the blight they will damage any natives in that area but then the natives get to hit back and destroy them and those are just free kills those are just free removals of islanders and if you can defend the space where the natives are and, and move a few in there or or however you want to do it or just manage it so that the best is when you've got one explorer on a tile and they, de- they can't quite kill the native but then the natives just kill them Those are just free gains that you have manufactured and usually as byproducts to the main effects of cards or powers, or they just happen by by chance. That, to me, is where the game really shines, trying to make the the most out of those little tweaks, little nuances. And it can feel so satisfying when you go, "Okay, they ravage there, I defend, and then all those natives I moved in hit back and destroy that city and destroy that. It's fantastic. Another little consideration. Okay, so before
0: we move on to speak about other games that can be played or should be played multi-handed,
1: you said you would recommend this one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would personally. You're going to take a lot to convince me that it should be played multi-handed. Maybe in a future episode, I'll have figured it out and worked it out and and be like, Nah, yeah, it's better multi-handed. But I think for me at least, that's way down the road, and I'm I'm going to play single-handed from now on, and I recommend. Anyone who gets this game should too. If you want to try it out on, if you've got tabletop sim, it's it's uh, there's a really good scripted mod which I was using. Uh, link, I'll put links in the description of it. Oh, fantastic game! Great game, love it. Perfect. As for me, I'm not confident giving a
0: recommendation yet. I still feel like I'm working out Spirit Island. Like I said, it's been free plays. They're all been they've all been different. One was multi handed. One was pure solo. The other one was multiplayer. And I still feel like I don't know what plays best. And there's so many different spirits to try. Sometimes when I'm playing, it feels like it slightly outstays its welcome. Other times it feels really tense and interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about Spirit Island. I think I can see that there's a lot there I like. It's clearly a good design. It's clearly a well-designed game. Whether it's my cup of tea, I'm not too sure at the moment. I'll have to revisit it after a couple more plays. Um, I'll keep you guys posted, because <laughs> I know that a lot of our listeners absolutely adore this game, so um, I'm happy to keep giving it more more chances, but for now, I think it's an interesting one. Definitely not saying don't get it, but I'm just not sure whether it's,
1: whether it's for me currently. Sorry to keep us sidetracked on this just for a second longer. I want to just quickly mention that a lot of the recommendation for me comes from the fact that it is such a game of exploration, and the exploration comes from which spirit you pick, which cards they happen to, to get as uh, minor or major powers, and how that affects the game, and the areas, that, the, the the way the cards come up from the Invader deck. It feels like everything is new and interesting decisions, and every game feels like it's going to be a completely different thing. You said in just then in your review that for you, it feels like some games drag on, some games it's intense and interesting, and I think for me, part of the excitement is not knowing whether the game is going to be one or the other. And especially if you haven't tried the Spirit before, not even knowing what you're going to be allowed to do in the game. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me uh, from a mechanical design perspective. Like, obviously, every every game I really love and really love to play, they, they're great games, but they tend to miss the, the wonder of what could happen this game. It could be completely different from every game I've played before. You know, I mean, you're still going to be putting out fires in the same way, but and the and the enemies are going to move in the same way. But there's even things I haven't tried yet, like the you can give the invaders personality. It's got a few cards to offer mechanical changes to the invaders to make the game a bit harder. And I cannot wait to try that out and see how each one plays and you're know, fighting against the Kingdom of England. How it's different to just the standard game. I'm really looking forward to it. See, I think that's really interesting because I didn't
0: think it was as sandboxy as you've made out to be just there I think although the spirits behave slightly differently you're very much motivated to look at a game from a very similar standpoint you are just trying to put out the fires and go through the fear deck and eliminate the invaders and you'll either win or you'll lose. It didn't feel as of open worldy as you're making it sound and You've definitely played it more than me, so maybe you're right, and it just comes of experience. How many times did it take you to play before you got to this headspace that you're at, at the moment with
1: the game? I'm really glad you asked me that because I was feeling, I think, very similarly to you after my first, you know, game or two, when I'd only tried the low intensity, low complexity spirits out. As soon as I played that game with you, where I tried the first ever moderate difficulty one, I was yeah, I was way more interested. And it was only when I played the one solo one-handed game with the high difficulty spirit that I really felt immersed. Yeah, I mean I'm worried now that maybe uh, the multi-handed games I've played I've only ever tried with the low intensity spirits. So perhaps you're going to have to take everything I've said with a grain of salt, but no, I think yeah, I think they're I think they're really interesting the the more complex ones and it made it feel a lot more exciting and like a like a story, like a a, d- a discovery of what the spirit can do as I go. It, it felt interesting finding out how what their limits are, what they can do, what their what their boundaries are. Okay, so what's that like? Five plays before you got to a point where you fell in love with Spirit Island. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, like I say, it was the it was trying it single handed with a with a harder harder difficulty spirit. That's what really clinched it for me. I don't think it's about number of plays so much as what you choose to do and you know how you approach it. No, I think
0: I think you're probably right there. Okay, so if if I may, moving on from Spirit Island just a little bit and mm-hmm. opening up the topic on solo games that are played multi-handed. Let's go ahead and dive into that. Yeah,
1: so have you had um, much experience playing multi-handed games? Is there any sort of games you really enjoyed multi-handed personally or any games that you think don't work multi-handed? Uh, Spirit Island <laughs> it doesn't work. But... <laughs> Just opening it up. So, um Spirit no. Island.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, um I do play quite a lot of solo pandemic and that is multi-handed and I think the reason that works so well. It's actually quite interesting because there's a lot of similarities between Pandemic and Spirit Island. They both have that random card draw system where you draw a card and bad things happen. In Pandemic, it's a lot more immediate. In, in Spirit Island, you have a chance to react. But um, yeah, both of them have you know a random card draw system, and, and then you take actions to to respond to that, and then you rinse and repeat until the end of the game. So there there, there is a kind of similarity there. I think the reason it works so well in Pandemic and the reason I didn't enjoy it as much in Spirit Island is because in Spirit Island players play their cards simultaneously and that just feels like a lot of work. So in Spirit Island you are asked here's two characters on your turn take both of their turns.
1: No yeah that is spot on like the I don't believe we didn't mention it before but that yeah in, in Spirit Island you you're taking simultaneous turns as one player, it's bizarre. And I'm obviously not a massive fan of Pandemic, but I can totally see how multi-handed, just being able to have all the information down from the previous turn to inform one turn would be much more helpful than having a set of information and then trying to make two distinct decisions based on all that information.
0: Absolutely, the reason I think it works in Pandemic is because, okay, now you are the medic. You take the medic's turn. Cool, that was the medic's turn. Now you take the operations expert's turn. Awesome. Now it's back to the medic. And you just go like that. Whereas in Spirit Island, you go, okay, you've got these two spirits. They behave entirely differently. It's quite a complex game. There are some really nuanced decision-making that you have to do. Now just make twice as much all the time. <laughs> it feels very uh, full
1: throttle. Yeah. And uh, I have the exact same problem when I tried playing Gloomhaven multi-handed, that you are asked to do simultaneous decision-making based on the current state of information for two different characters. So I find that it doesn't make sense to me to try and do that. I I, I look at this hand of cards and this hand of cards, and I have to then go, okay, well, I'm definitely going to do this. And then look at the other hand and go, oh, but wait. So maybe I shouldn't do that and I'll do takes backsies and it when you decide to lock in your action becomes a nightmare of indecision you know how how can I possibly make a decision for this character until I've looked at the other character and then gone back and when do you finally go okay fuck it this will do i act. it's funny that you say that
0: about takes backsies because the note that i made before the show just <laughs> it just has the words simultaneous selection, and then in capital S takes seats. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously you're not locked in to making your decision until you've looked at the other hand and gone backwards and forwards, and you go, Well oh, actually, I'll do that instead of that. But I don't find that fun. I find that faffy and awkward. Yeah, and it's, it's very diff- difficult to remember what each
0: character has in their hand between turns. Yeah. Okay, I'll select this and this, and you go to the other character, and you go, oh, maybe another card would work better.
1: And then you then you have to think, oh, but what does that mean? If I, if I So if I do do that instead, what's the instead? You go, OK, I'm definitely going to play this attack card with my crag heart. And then you pick up your other hand, and you go, oh, the mind thief wants to do this. So I won't play that attack card. Wait, but then what are they going to do? OK, I have to go back and have a look. Well, there's nothing else I want to do with them. So I do still want to play that attack card. But it doesn't work. Ah! And you just <laughs> want to scream. I mean, at least I do. Yeah.
0: So I think that's one of the reasons why Pandemic for me, although it's not even labelled as a solo game, works much better. Because it's much more conventional in the sense of you just take one turn for one person. It may as well not be multi-handed. You're, you only ever take one person's turn at a time. So it's, it's very easy. It also never outstays its welcome. By comparison to Spirit Island, I felt like a couple of times during the plays that yeah, this game is pretty much over. Am I anywhere near the end? Not really. <laughs> you know, yeah. do I have to keep playing? I guess so. Um, and I already kind of alluded to that earlier on in the show. But yeah, I think playing cooperative games solo for me at the moment, yeah, it would just Spirit Island would just be a little bit lower down on the on the list than. And something like pandemic and you you probably hate to hear that because you're really not a fan of pandemic at all
1: no oh, no yeah. <laughs> but I, I understand how uh, it could definitely work better multi-handed yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking now i've never tried playing mage knight multi-handed it'd be a bit more difficult because i mean and, and, and obviously you'd have to play a, a cooperative scenario or whatever but taking a, a turn then another turn i I, I, the reason I, I think it'd be interesting is because it's an inherently complicated game, and turn-taking is is pretty brain-busting as it is. And trying to trying to do that, not as simultaneous decision-making, but just being aware of what the other person is doing and stuff might be here might be an interesting sort of bridge between the two worlds. I don't know. I don't know how it would work. I haven't tried it. But...
0: Well, I'll let you give that a go, and I think I'll give
1: that a miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perhaps. I mean, it works so well. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, I really like single-handed solo games. I, I find jumping between multiple hands, it, it breaks the immersion for me. Like, especially in Spirit Island that we're talking about today, the, how am I meant to identify with one of those spirits if I'm then suddenly a different spirit? You know, the RPGer in me just can't get immersed. And the board gamer in me is just overwhelmed by decisions, you know. So I don't see how it works. I mean, obviously, I'd I'd love to hear back from you guys listening and you you can tell me exactly why I'm wrong. But yeah, that's just where I am at the moment.
0: Just going off of the idea of immersion in solo games, I've written down another and I wanted to kind of bring up another type of game that is played multi-handed and that is games that you have to play both sides of the table so the example i've written down one that i've tried myself is undaunted normandy which is a oh. two-player deck building war game we've played together mm. but it also has some fan-made solo rules it is getting an official solo variant that's uh, in in the pipeline but currently it's only a fan-made solo variant, and you have to take the turns of both players. How do you feel about Because that's
1: surely not very massive
0: at all, switching sides between plays. How do you feel about yeah, that? I,
1: I don't understand how that would work for that specific game, because there's a lot of hidden information there. The cards you choose, you kind of... It depends, you know, it changes the initiative depending on what the other person chooses, and if you know what they're going to choose, how... How can that possibly be? Sure. I'll uh, very quickly, because it's
0: very easy to explain, I'll very quickly give you a rundown just for the sake of our listeners. Uh, what Scruffy is referring to here is um, in Undaunted Normandy, you draw a hand of, of four cards and you choose one to be to, to determine the initiative. Those are played simultaneously and then play continues in that order based on, based on how the initiative was done. In Undaunted Normandy, the solo variant, you draw three cards for each all face down and then you flip over a card to determine initiative randomly so you don't know what the other person has in their hand when you're taking your turn.
1: Okay, so that solves the initiative problem. Now what about the problem of the all the other cards? So
0: because the cards are face down when you draw them, you only look at the cards in order. So what I mean by that is when initiative is determined, you then take the turn of the person going first by looking at their cards. You still don't know what the other person has. And then you flip over. So, Oh, my
1: mistake. Yeah, sorry, I forgot that it's just the other three cards all get played, don't they? Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that, that does actually work pretty interestingly and quite, quite well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it does
0: work well, except for the reason I don't like it. It's a well-designed little solo system. I've played it a couple of times. The reason I don't think I'll do it again is because I can't get immersed in the experience. Immersiveness in games isn't as important to me as it probably is to yourself, Scruffy, but it is still important. And when I just don't know who I'm rooting for, it kind of feels like I'm just pressing go on the game and watching it work rather than playing yeah. it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, you get the interesting decisions, but with no real investment.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't care who wins, it's just... Uh, One time I played and actually one one team got completely blitzed by the other. And I thought, wow, they sucked. Oh, that was me as well. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, just, it kind of felt a bit inconsequential what happened. And there's a big community of solitaire wargamers and there's a lot of solo wargames. But there is also people who enjoy playing both sides of the table. And I don't think I'm one of those people. I don't know if you've ever done that at all, but it's just not not for me.
1: No, I I don't totally don't I don't understand how you could be in, invested in that. Really, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't appeal to me very much, either. But okay. yeah, if it, if it floats your boat, fantastic.
0: So I guess in a nutshell, in a sort of tagline for this episode, my thoughts on multi-handed games are: they are fine if I'm taking one person's turn at a time. I am not a fan of simultaneous selection. And player choices, multi-handed, and I'm also not a fan of playing both sides of the table. Anything else you wanna you wanna add to that, Scruffy?
1: No, I think we're we're in agreement there, which is uh, which is cool. The only thing we're not in agreement on is how much we like Spirit Island.
0: Yeah, and I'm just not sure. If I'm honest, I'm just not sure. It's just it's a complicated game, and there's lots of nuances. And I think I'll like it more if I play it more. If I'm honest, yeah,
1: I think you would. I think you should try one of the more difficult spirits and. Uh, and Obviously, avoid multi handed you have a blast.
0: But, you know, yeah, you, do definitely. You, you do you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, great. So it's probably a good time to move on to the section of the show where we uh, interact with you guys, the listeners. We're going to go ahead and give you a new question for this week and read out your responses from last episode. Scruffy,
1: do you want to let them know what the question is? Yeah, so uh, the question this week is which is your favorite spirit to play in spirit island and which spirits pair really well in your opinion if you have any uh any thoughts on that let us know i'd be really interested to know which spirit to try next
0: brilliant okay um yeah i'd be really excited to, to know which which one to try next and also if i can expand on on that a little bit what spirit would you recommend next for someone who's only played with the easier spirits i want a little bit more meat on the bone on a little bit more interesting decisions from turn one what would you recommend and bearing in mind that i am only going to play as one spirit what what would you what would you say so that's just for me personally (laughs) i'd love to get people's opinion on that one so please please do let us know
1: and if you haven't, uh, if you're into Spirit Island and you haven't tried out Bringer of Dreams and Nightmares, you should definitely give him a go. He's my pick at the moment with my limited plays of the game. Definitely an awesome, awesome guy to try out, uh, but certainly not a first one to try out because uh, he kind of fundamentally breaks the mechanics a little bit, which is nice.
0: Okay, then. So let's go ahead and read the responses from last episode. The we had two from last episode. The first one is from Brian. Do you remember Brian from last one? Yeah, hey, Brian. So Brian wrote back, remember, he said he was gonna print off Railway Station, and we said, you have to let us know what you think, and have you played any other train games? So he's wrote back and responded. So he said, hey guys, really enjoyed Railway Station. He got over 500 points on his first play. Bravo. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. He said he doesn't think he's made any, mistake, any mistakes, and you probably haven't, Ryan. It's a pretty straightforward game in terms of rules. Obviously, just a natural-born train gamer. <laughs> <laughs> he said the engineers are powerful tools. Looking forward to trying one of the more advanced maps soon. And he's never played a train game for, before, but it's easy to understand understand the appeal. So that's pretty cool. Nice.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you liked it, dude. That, that's really cool. And bravo on getting that score. I've played it only a few times now, and I keep getting just under the highest tier thing. I keep getting the first class engineer, not the...
0: A private private carriage, I think.
1: Yeah, private carriage is the biggest one, isn't it? That's the best one. I haven't, I'm not a private carriage just yet.
0: And same here. I'm, I, I have achieved over that on the advanced maps. The one with the... I don't know if you tried it, Scruffy. But the one with the points of interest, I have scored higher on that one. But I know for a fact that that one scores higher because I saw someone online got over 900 points on that one.
1: Jesus, that's a score to beat. (laughs) Now, I haven't tried the advanced maps yet, uh, just because every time I sit down with the game, I look at them and I go, that'd be really fun. Or I could just try it again and try and get the private carriage score, you know, and I I can't resist.
0: I would really recommend trying the advanced maps because they are very fun. Awesome. Awesome. They're really fun. But no, thank you so much for writing in, Brian. We really appreciate that. So speaking of Railway Station, the next letter we had in was from Kendall, the designer we had on episode five. Um, he just wanted to write in his favorite AI because uh, that was the question we asked on the last episode, if you remember. hmm So he said, um, hey, guys, uh, an interesting approach to AI in board games, which he thought was quite fun, is the bosses from Dark Souls. Now, he says he liked the Dark Souls board game a lot less than some of its parts, unfortunately, but the bosses have their own unique action decks, and what they do is they randomise those decks, but once you go all the way through them, they're not shuffled or randomised again. They come out in a certain order, which is thematic to how it works in a video game because the bosses work on a on a pattern that way, so it, it really accurately re- replicates... How they function in the video game, which he thought was quite interesting, and just wanted to know our thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you played Dark Souls before, but that is a very typical thing of Dark Souls: is that in order to get good at the game, you have to see the learn the patterns, work out the patterns, and, and then you know nail your strategy based on that. So it makes absolute sense that the AI for that game works on that on that same level. And I, I've never, before hearing that, I've never thought of that as a, a system before. To not shuffle a deck seems bizarre to board gamers, I I suppose. But it's a very interesting way to make some predictability and add that into the loop. Yeah, I think that's that's perfect, especially for something emulating a video game which has predictable patterns. Brilliant idea.
0: Yeah, and it's very different to what we were talking about on the previous episode as well, because we were talking about AI replacing a player, whereas this is an AI that you're playing against. And it's not, you know, if you were playing multiplayer or solo, they would act the same way so it's it's also as well as being very interesting it's also very different what we're talking about as well so i'm glad that i'm glad that he brought it up because it wasn't something that we went into too much on our last episode except for when we spoke about mage knight's general vulcare. That that kind of falls into the same kind of category but yeah thank you very much for writing in kendall long
1: time friend of the show appreciate your input just quickly following on from that uh, I think there's a, a thing to be said there for predictability in AI anyway. Like that in Spirit Island, for example, you once you get through all but one of the level one cards, you know what the next one's going to be. So you can kind of predict what's going to come next to some extent. And I think that's a common theme in a lot of AIs in games is that once you've seen some moves happen, you kind of get an idea of what's going to happen next. And I think that that is often, when done well, treated that it happens randomly at first and unexpectedly the first few turns you have no idea what's going to happen, but it's less powerful. And then as the game goes on, because there's more effects already happening or you've invested more resources, that once you get to that point where you can start predicting what's going to happen, the danger is actually one of impact that you... You might know you, you might lose the randomness, but in its place is, well, actually, that, there's, that is a bigger threat than it was before.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point.
1: And hopefully, I haven't played it, but hopefully Dark Souls does a similar thing with that, where you start out with all your HP or whatever. I don't know how it works, but that would make sense. And as the fight goes on, your resources become scarcer, but you gain predictability of the enemy.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly how it works from from what he sent in. And uh, yeah, I think you're right, that's really important. In given some level of predictability for the uh for the AI, because otherwise you're just gonna have that random effector that we were we were talking about in the last in the last episode. Agree, agree completely. Thank you very much for writing in. Thank you, Kendall. So just a quick reminder, before we leave you guys, we will be playing eighteen forty-nine with fred and chris from the derailed 18xx podcast we are recording that on friday which is the day that this goes out so if you're listening we are probably we've probably already lost <laughs> or are in the midst of playing that right now so um as soon as that's uh, available that will be up on scruffy's youtube and we will go put, put putting links to that on all our social media so uh keep an eye out for that one be pretty embarrassing if if they one of them don't win i mean we're not the ones with the 18xx podcast right
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just getting That's that excuse
0: in really early <laughs> That's awesome. as well as that we just wanted to share a quick update on how the patreon is getting on as well so we've been having a lot of fun with the um, with the discord guys if you if you aren't already signed up to our, to our patreon uh, any pledge will get you into our discord for any of the tiers that we have uh, selected so it's uh, patreon.com slash alwaysplayer1. Kendall, who was on episode five and who wrote in uh, on this episode, he's also in there and he's been hard at work making custom emojis for the Discord, which are really cute. So what ones
1: have we got? We had we had the Always Player One branded ones, but we also had... We've got Mage some Night? 18xx ones and we've got a few Major Night ones uh, that have already happened and a few more he's got lined up to... To make as well, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun stuff. It's just fun. It's just
0: it's just fun. So yeah, the more of you guys that join, the more fun that community is going to be. So uh, please consider um, supporting us on Patreon if you don't already. I think that's pretty much everything for this for this episode. And is there's anything else you want to add in, Scruffy?
1: No, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome day, and you guys rock.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.